0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Kurita, your host. Very happy to be with you again today and thank you for tuning in with us. Today it's an amazing Bible Study and I was even thinking before we come on air um, how should we rate this program because it's uh, from the wonderful book of uh, Songs of Solomon and it's talking about uh, marriage. And uh, I'll encourage you to be part with us, Open the Bible, Be ready to look in uh, Songs of Solomon and uh, uh, be part with us for this Bible study. But before we commence, I would like to just uh, thank you, my guests here, the panel, and Helen, uh, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. It's a delight to be here. Let me just say one thing. It's actually called Song of Songs, but it is a song from Solomon. Out of all the songs that he wrote, this was known as the greatest one. Mm. Good to be here.
0: Thanks for that. And, uh, Lija, thank you for coming also to the program.
1: Yeah, I'm very privileged to be here
2: today.
0: And today it's a very balanced panel. You know, we have uh, two ladies, two men, and uh, the other man which I would like to welcome is Len. Len, thank you for uh, being part of this program and particularly today uh, facilitating this uh, Bible study. Uh, Thank you for uh, all the work you put into this. Yes.
3: Hello, listeners. Last week in the current series of studies on families we considered some of the wisdom and advice given particularly in the book of Proverbs. This included loving the right person, the duties and responsibilities of fathers, of correcting children with love, the issue of living with a disagreeable spouse and the value of having a good spouse. This week We'll see the beauty of sincere and passionate love as expressed through the love poem Song of Songs, sometimes known as the Song of Solomon. I was telling Helen a little earlier before we went on air that in Dutch it's called the greatest song. Anyhow, today we will see how the desire to love and be loved by someone is a beautiful thing and is an expression of what God created in mankind. So before we go any further in this study, I invite you to join us with prayer. Well, let your praise for us.
2: Gracious Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity that we can come together to study your holy word. Father, please We invite your Holy Spirit to come here and be present with us and in us to touch our hearts and uh, help us to understand your word in the way you want us to understand and share with others. Father, please bless all those who are listening your Holy Word and uh, help everybody to know Jesus more and serve him better. We thank you for everything, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
3: Thank you, Lydia. Now, Helen. Did you know that the Song of Songs does not mention the word God?
1: Yes, I had noticed that.
3: So then, why is it included in the Bible?
1: Well, if we look at it, actually it is interesting because Solomon wrote, I think that one, was, was it 1005 songs? Something like that. And this is the only one that's been included. But however, even though it doesn't mention God, it has powerful energies that help understand our own natures and the n- nature and the nature of God. It is a powerful love story. And of course, the ultimate love that we can experience is from God, pure, undefiled. Uh-huh. And that's what the Song of Solomon brings out with this relationship.
3: I'd like to say this. The Song of Solomon is a little bit like nature. Nature. We read in the book of Psalms, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. By looking at the heavens, we can get some idea of what God is like. And I believe the same thing happens as we study this book, which is not about God, but it teaches or its implication is that God exists, God created, and it shows us what God is like.
1: Even though it's not about God per se, it actually helps us to understand the degree of God's love for people.
3: Yes. As you would see if you read this book and probably as you hear us discussing it on air, that there is very deep passion and desire and love in a pure form expressed between these two human beings. And so I think we can understand too God's deep passionate love
1: I think we need to look at it from the point of view of of being the wedding and being a courtship and what have you because I think when well I don't know about you guys but when the first time I read Song of Solomon there's a lot of graphic detail in the song and um, I was sharing with Len earlier that when I read at one stage where Solomon was saying, you know, your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, I thought how insulting, how absolutely insulting until I went in and I started to study the book of Song of Songs, and discovered that he was referring to, if you like, a watchtower which was beautiful and very precious to the people. And it reminded me of an incident years ago when I was courting uh, my fiancé. He said to me one day, he said, your eyes are like a cow. And I was very highly offended because I'm from Britain and calling somebody a cow is one of the worst insults. And I was really offended until he explained to me that he loved cows and he meant that my eyes were deep and beautiful. He kind of got out of it. But yes, it's just the way you express yourself, isn't it?
3: Yes, that's right. Who's involved in this book? It's a poem. Yes. But who's involved? Who are the lead characters
1: Mainly, we're we're looking at it from King Solomon, and he's the bridegroom, and also his Shulamite bride, um, which is very interesting because we learned last week how many wives Solomon had and how many concubines, and it was a political um, move on his behalf. But this Shulamite bride bride country girl wasn't it wasn't a political it was a pure love that he had for her but also there was another group in their land there was a group of friends and throughout the song of solomon it was like they were giving counsel giving and also accepting counsel so there was another group as well and of course we've got us who are privileged to go and be in that little intimate moment Mm.
3: Mm. yes the group of friends is almost like an echo that Mm. bounces off the main characters. You were saying before that when you first read this book, Helen, that you were horrified. Mm. Well, I believe that um, in the Jewish culture that any Jewish person under the age of 30 was recommended they don't read this book because they weren't mature enough to handle it, at least then. I mean, these days, kids have grown up even before they've grown up. They know about the birds and bees and all that sort of thing.
1: I think it's interesting, Lynn, that quite a number of us have been brought up in a society where some of the things that um, is discussed in society today were certainly taboo in, in my growing up years. And I remember when I was married, I was introduced to my stepchildren and I was quite horrified at the conversation round the table. And very open and no embarrassment. And I was sitting there going redder and redder in my cheeks. And they all laughed. They thought it was funny. But they said, you'll get used to us. We just talk about anything and everything. And, you know, for them, it wasn't a problem. For me, I think that's why I was initially horrified without realizing what the language was, you know, back then.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. And saying that, Lynn, before we go further, um, doesn't mean that uh, we need to take uh, passages of scripture like this in the song of songs very easy or very uh, lightly we should consider the deepness of these messages because in uh, today's society as you just it's just so normal you know to talk about even sexuality which i believe is n- should not be just a platform of uh, expressing those things anywhere and everywhere. It should be in a proper place, in the proper settings, because it is a very important subject of life.
1: gift from God.
3: gift
0: from God, mm-hmm. you're
3: right. The, um, of course the music industry thrives on the subject of love and in these modern times it's probably even thrives on the idea of sex. But love has been a theme right throughout centuries, I suppose, for beautiful expression. And Of course, this poem that we're dealing with today is a beautiful expression about love. Nick, who made
0: man and woman? It says here very nicely in the book of Genesis uh, chapter 2. And if I read the verse 7, it says this, "Then And the Lord God formed man. Of the dust of the ground, and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life, and man become a living being. Man is the crown, if you like, you know, of God's creation. You know, when God created man.
1: I think it was interesting when you just read out about man came from the dust of the ground. For whether you be a believer or not, at most funerals that you go to, they will say the words, you know, from dust. They came and from dust they return. So without even realizing it, they're actually, you know, coming from Genesis with that.
0: So uh, a couple of other verses in uh, this chapter, Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, for example, um, after God created man, Adam said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And in verse 25, continues to say this, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Very interesting thing, because when you talk about nakedness today, um, it's not so simple, even though some people are not anymore very ashamed, you know. But after God created man, man was enjoying the fact that God created him a partner. Mm. and he named woman and uh, we wouldn't go into the, all the explanation of the name and so on mm. but when God
3: made man he didn't just make a physical thing That there were emotions there were feelings there was an understanding there was an intellect a sense of morality all those things were included in man when God made man and woman Lydia, Nick was just saying that they were naked. The Bible says that Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. Why?
2: Yes, in uh, Genesis chapter 2 verse uh, 25 we read that saying that the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They were clothed with a garment of light and glory which it means innocence and purity, transparency transparency, and uh, it's a cloth, exactly as the angels are wearing, and when they sinned, their robes of light disappeared, their intimacy with God was disrupted because of their newly uh, discovered intimacy with the self-centeredness of evil, and God so th- to educate them, uh, the first couple in regard to the consequences that their sin had created in them. So yes. they lost at that moment. They didn't feel embarrassed or or they didn't feel any shame, and uh, they didn't see that they are naked because they were covered with this glory of God clothes. So th- because they didn't know what it means sin so sin made them to feel naked
3: yeah, made them feel shame
1: yeah, yeah I, I was thinking about this verse one day and I'm thinking for us, it's very hard to understand that they they weren't, didn't feel any shame, you know in the world that we live in and I was thinking, it's a bit like a child, isn't it? a toddler, how many toddlers go running through the house, you know, a bear yes. and they're not ashamed they're innocent and I think this is the thing Adam and Eve were innocent you know, they didn't know anything else and a little toddler doesn't know anything else and no. they're not ashamed it's only as they, when sin came in and as a child grows up you know, it, it's this culture that we have but I'm not advocating we all become nudists no well not but today anyway. no, not today, it's too cold um, but apart from that, you know it's the innocence, isn't it which we lost when man fell yeah.
3: it was the natural order of yes. things
1: just help me to that understand time. that myself
3: Yeah, mm. and I agree with you mm. with the entrance of sin there also came shame mm. Lydia, we're talking about mankind but I'd just like to narrow it down now to Christians if you wouldn't mind reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 how are Christians to be
2: May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So our advi- um, the advice given to us here is that we have to become blameless in front of God.
3: Right. Blameless means pure, righteous, just as Adam and Eve were. Yeah.
0: When I will create. That text is very in- interesting in the Bible and creates a lots of uh, debates and confusion for some people because it, Paul talks about the spirit, the soul, and the body, which some people will tear apart this and say, You see, uh, we are uh, uh, also spirits, so the body doesn't matter because in some other parts of the Bible, when it talks about the body, talks about the spirit separately, some people came with the idea that doesn 't matter what you do in the body because the body is subject to sin as long as in spirit in um, in your soul you are uh, connected with God, you cannot uh, really change the manifestation of the sinful nature through your body but I would like to say that Paul is not saying anything about that. Paul is saying that the unity you know we are this wonderful body which God created has these components, if you like, you know. It's a spiritual, it's physical also, we are, you know, touchable, and we are also the depositors of the Holy Spirit.
1: I believe this is where people get the idea that there is immortality of the soul, one of the deceptive beliefs yeah. that have been brought into our, our um into our culture and yet the bible is very clear that the soul that sinneth it shall die and here paul is talking about the whole being not separate but the whole being years ago doctors used to think that uh the mind had nothing to do with the body or the body with the mind and and spirit and what have you and they compartmentalized nowadays they realize that they're all interconnected and i believe that's what paul's saying here it's a whole being
3: Mm. yes well helen We said before that when God created Adam and Eve, he didn't just make a model, but it was a living, thinking, feeling human being. And in Psalm chapter 84 and verse 2, it mentions a yearning. Would you read that verse? What Mm. was the yearning?
1: I can almost hear David saying, I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. So, you know, this this is complete, isn't it? Uh, longing for an intimate relationship with God, you could mm-hmm. say. And, and this was the cry that, that we see right the way through Scripture. and God in turn he puts that in us because he longs for that intimate relationship with us he wants to dwell with us
3: it's the same with us we desire an intimate relationship with another person but David was saying he wanted an intimate relationship with God intimate in the sense of being if you like at one with God I've had that same feeling myself to really want to think that god and i are exactly on the same wavelength i know that he is god and i'm not but i've really felt that i would like that relationship just as david was talking about
1: i just realized lynn as we're saying that i was reading in the song of songs about the king saying that you're it's like the wine sweeter than wine and that just came to my head then when I was saying that, because wine makes, you know, tends to make people a bit happy, some people, and rejoicing. And here David saying, virtually the same, you know, I will shout joyfully to the living God. He will rejoice, you know, as like in Song of Solomon mentions.
0: Yes. And what was God's intention when he created man? Because he didn't just create a man out of, you know, bored or just say there was an intention there. What was that intention? Because if we, if we can grasp that thing, then we may uh, understand what you, and you just said a bit earlier, you know, or, or, or what uh, the psalmist David is uh, writing he, from his experience. What was God's purpose?
3: Well, of course, there are a number of reasons why God created man, but one of those reasons is companionship, that God wanted to spend time with a being or with beings, who understood him for what he was, and he uh, it's recorded in Genesis how the Lord would come down in the cool of the evening and he would walk and talk with Adam and Eve
2: and I think another reason is that um, that God created man uh, is that to express his love to love somebody and to be loved, so he created. Uh, everything in pair all the animals all the birds and all the insects everything is in pairs and after that he created man and woman a pair okay so god wanted to receive love from these people and also to be loved as god so god is love in everything he done he he mm. um what, what, whatever
1: he done he was uh, let's say in, in coronated with love yes Actually that's very good Lydia it's very true. I'm thinking about your word that you said God wanted companionship. As soon as you said that the thought came into my head well companionship sounds as though God is lonely. And I do remember reading a book that said our lonely God that he actually longs for our company, you know, and and yes it comes into this whole scene of creation and what have you. Mm. But he wants our company because he is love and he wants um, to show us love and he wants us to love one another in the right way you know to experience his love
0: and, and, and because we speak now from a sinful nature you know uh, when god created man the, the intention was men to be holy mm. man to be set apart if you like but because of the sin experience now is that gap and here where God comes in picture like what you just described it as a lonely God why because he doesn't want to lose us you know and he sacrificed everything to gain us back Mm. you know to uh, take us back very important point Mm. yes God wants man to reflect what he is like
3: All right. well now we can open up our Bibles to the Song of Solomon as it's called in some versions and others it's called the song of songs Lydia would you read the song of songs chapter 1 verse 2 and then following that chapter 2 verses 5 and 6
2: let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is more delightful than wine strengthen me with raisins refresh me with apples for I am faint with love His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. I think here it's a picture, a description of love that is presented. It's beautiful described here that uh, it says that strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples. So there is a metaphor here. It's a beautiful metaphor because raisins has lots of vitamins and antioxidants and apples the same. So... Yeah, it's a beautiful description.
3: Yes. Now, pure love can be expressed this way. Now, if you watch (coughs) the movies, you'll see sometimes they portray something as love. They'll talk about a lover. Mm -hmm. But really, all that is is um, what I would call cheap love. It's basically just sex. But the Bible here in in, uh, the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, pictures love as a beautiful thing firstly there's kissing and then of course there's sleeping together in the right context there's nothing wrong with this this is perfectly normal and natural Helen in Song of Songs chapter 5 verses 10 to 16 and I know it's a fairly longest piece of passage the woman the Shulamite woman describes the man she loves and it's very metaphorical Would you read those verses, and then could you say why she uses these types of descriptions?
1: Okay, so that was uh, Song of Songs, Chapter 5? Yes. Is that what you said? 10 to 16. That's right. Okay, she says My lover is dark and dazzling, better than ten thousand others. His head is fine as gold, his wavy hair is black as a raven, his eyes sparkle like doves beside spring of water. They are set like jewels washed in milk, His cheeks are like gardens of spices, giving off fragrance. His lips are like lilies, perfumed with myrrh. His arms are like rounded bars of gold, set with beryl. His body is like bright ivory, glowing with lapis lazuli. His legs are like marble pillars, set in sockets of finest gold. And his posture is stately, like the noble cedars of Lebanon. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is desirable in every way. Such, O women of Jerusalem, is my lover and my friend. So why does she
3: use all this metaphorical, flowery, descriptive language?
1: I think it's actually beautiful now that I've studied song of songs many times. Um, it's her way of expressing how she feels about him, how she loves and she admires him. You know, I love the, the bit at the bottom where he sa- she says she calls Solomon her friend. Mm. and you know i was thinking about that and i thought in a healthy marriage lovers are also good friends aren't they or they should be you know too often people are driven into marriage by the exciting feelings as you mentioned before of love and passion you know before they take the time to develop a deep friendship and and this involves listening and and sharing and showing and understanding one's likes and dislikes friendship takes time but it makes a love relationship much deeper and far more satisfying and when you read what she thinks it's just beautiful when you consider it
0: yeah. so how does the king describe his his bride Nick that's interesting to, to look at that and in chapter 7 uh, from verses 1 to 9 we are going to see here how Solomon look at his bride. Interesting that, Helen, you mentioned that in a marriage, the couple, you know, they should first be friends, become friends, to be able to build on a strong relationship. Mm -hmm. And in the case of Solomon, which we learned last week and before that, he had uh, so many wives and concubines. I wonder if this was the only one who was the true bride. Based on the friendship and on on a real uh, relationship, the other ones could be just arranged marriages because Blaine you mentioned about that how uh-huh. how uh, that happened in those days, and uh, very important to just talk a little bit about this, uh, how important it is to find a friend in your spouse. but let's read this uh, uh, wonderful verses from chapter seven: How beautiful are your feet in sandals? O princess, daughter, the curves of your things are like jewels, the work of the hands of a skillful woman.
2: Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two foams twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower, Your eyes are the pool of Heshbon by the gate of Bat-Rabim. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasing. O love, with your delights, your stature is like that of a palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit I said I will climb the palm tree and I will take hold of its fruits may your breasts be like the clusters of the wine and the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine
3: so I just want us to concentrate on that last bit your mouth like the best wine what do you make of that?
2: I think this comparison it's in regard to whatever you comes out of your mouth because i don't think it refers only at the moment of kissing because you cannot kiss a person all the time you know kissing no. is happening just sometimes and you know but um here i think it says that your mouth uh, it's like the best wine um Whatever a woman com- um, speaks and everything comes out of her mouth, uh, it's desirable or not desirable.
0: That's a good thought. I like that. Yes, mm. Nick. yes and uh, and also in the Bible when it talks about wine, um, and it's interesting in another book uh, which Solomon. Uh, uh, Wrote most of the book in Proverbs, uh, when uh, advice given to a king not to drink wine because the wine is so slippery. You know, it's so you know, it's so tempting. You it's know, it, it can be intoxicated, but mm-hmm. it it says in this context, it says that yeah, wine it's uh, it can be slippery like that. And if you, when he refers to to her uh, lips or to her uh, mouth, you know, like wine. Maybe in that uh, characteristic, you know, that the wine is very intensive.
3: Well, I guess the best wine is the tastiest, the the nicest wine. Uh, It's the sort of wine that you want to keep drinking. Not that I drink alcoholic drinks at all. But um, in this case, I guess Solomon was saying, well, it's so lovely, I like to kiss it a lot. Yes, Helen?
1: I wonder if in his mind he was comparing it to his other marriages. Because this was a true love marriage um, that he's talking about. You almost feel like you have to kind of take a deep breath while, while all this is being said, you know, that we are privileged to be there as a spectator. You know, I just wondered if he was saying, you are the perfect one. Mm. You know, the best wine of all compared to all the rest, which was a political, you know, arranged marriage, but you're the one that I love. Yeah. You know.
3: Now, we've heard a description of the groom. We've heard a description of the bride. Both of them are in glowing terms with all these beautiful metaphors and similes. It almost sounds like a mutual admiration society, which it is. Now, how should it be between a husband and wife? We we're looking at an ideal. I know the ideal is quite often not achieved, but how should that be between a husband and wife in terms of their admiration for each other? Yes, let
2: I think everybody who is married can remember the first Years of the marriage and it's like exactly as it's described in the songs of solomon, you know the love is in the air, (laughs) you know, and um, uh, When love is in the air you can see only Positive things you can see only the good things the qualities you cannot see any negativities unfortunately in this sinful world all this are fading off during the the time and during the years because we can uh, discover each other's negativities and defects and so on and we don't like it and so on so it should be like this it should in a in a marriage relationship should be uh, love should stay and be exactly as the first year of the
1: marriage
0: okay, the first like period of comment. time yes and also like to continue that uh, i believe uh, This section which we just looked at, it's a premarital experience because, as Ligia pointed out, there is no demand there. It's only declaration of love, appreciation of the other person. Now, interesting enough that before marriage, most of the couples, they will talk nicely about the other person don't really bring demands because if you bring demands the other person may say okay I think I have to pull pull out of this because I don't want to be bombarded like that but after you get married I believe this is the problem if it's not based on the same principle of respect and recognition of the other person that's why so many marriages are in trouble because we live in a in a relationship of demands rather than the expression of love.
3: Mm. I think these are very wise comments that I've just heard. Yes, Helen? Mm.
1: Yeah, I, I was just listening to before what Lydia was saying. It reminds me of scripture and it reminds me of when we first come to the Lord and we fall in love with him. And how exciting it is, and, and everything looks different. And we are you know, in fire. We are on fire. Yeah. But then what happens after a while, um, there's a saying that says familiarity breeds contempt. However, if you are familiar with Christ, you will want to stay there. But the problem is that we, we get caught up in traditions, and we get caught up in our life. And then, you know, we, we, we read in Scripture how we need to come back to our first love. And I notice in the Song of Songs how it mentions a few times about refreshing, you know, and streams and what have you. And I think there's a key there for us that in a marriage we should be refreshing our marriage the whole time. How do we do that? We do that by encouraging words. We do that by little surprises, you know. Keep the love blossoming, you know. And I I believe it's, it's an example of how we should be with the Lord as well.
3: Listeners, I reckon if you forget everything else, in this study, these last three comments are very worthy of taking notice. I would like to make a declaration here. When I met the girl who was to be my wife, I was madly in love. Now, half a century later, our love is different, but not less.
2: Not madly in love anymore? Yes,
3: madly in love <laughs> still. Probably mad as well, but no. No just as much but expressed a different way yes because we've grown to know each other over the years and so there are certain things which when love is just beginning with a a relationship with somebody else uh, you're still in the discovery stage well we've passed the discovery stage pretty much but the love is still strong i wouldn't have anybody else Somewhere, I think we had it last week, where we're talking about Proverbs chapter 31, about a good woman. A good woman is m- worth more than a ruby. Well, I've um, said that I think my wife is worth a whole trainload of rubies, or better than that.
0: Yes, think. Yeah, to be able to look into the Bible for advice and for uh, all the good things which we learn today, Solomon, I believe, what kept him to come back to God and to even write down this uh, poem was probably that relationship with, uh, with uh, Solomon, mm. Because in the Bible it's said that many of other women in his life turn his heart away mm. from God. And it's so mm. true that if you, if you are in a relationship a solid, God-based, relationship that will keep you together and for the plan of uh, which God has for each one of us but otherwise and this is an uh, advice from for not only for the married people but for those people who are considering to get married that they need to look upon this um, relationship as something which God should To the acceptance, if you like, you know, and to see if it's in God's plan, not in our own interests. Because most of the marriages today, look at the celebrities, for example, look at the, not also celebrities, simple people, most of the marriages today have some sort of interest in that. And if you go on that road, then you'll uh, reap the results sooner or later. Lujia, you've got something you would like to say here?
2: Yes, throughout uh, this poem... Intimate compliments and loving gesture convey the strong attraction, the physical and uh, the emotional delight that the male and female find in each other. So the natural intimacies of romantic love are a gift of the creator to help partners bond closely to each other in marriage so as partners are open to the work of divine love in their hearts their human love is refined and purified elevated and ennobled and i I would like to add also that the true love though is not natural to the human heart but it's it is a gift of the holy spirit and such love bonds husband and wife in a lasting union
3: well we've made it in our marriage we say god first each other second children third other people after that and i believe that when god is the center of a person's life or a couple's life their hearts can beat together helen would you read song of songs chapter 4 verse 8
1: it says here in the New Living Translation, it says, Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Come down from Mount Amarna, from the peaks of Sina and Hermon, where the lions have their dens and leopards live among the hills. When we first read that, the first thought is, OK, well, he wants her to come with him. But when you look at it and, and you see where she was from, he was literally, he wants the Shulamite maiden to leave all the beautiful mountains of her northern country land you know she loved and he was saying come you know come be with me you know give up become one flesh and and he wants this for his marriage you know he's literally proposed and and you know when you think about it love and sexual intimacy should be freely given not forced or manipulated Mm. he wasn't saying you are coming He gave her an invitation to come, and I think that's important.
3: And that's the same invitation that God gives to human beings. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavily, heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Yes. So, like you said, it's not forced. The ideal is there should be mutual consent and mutual respect between people.
1: Invitation.
3: In the Bible, some of the expressions given for sexual intimacy are a little different than what we have these days. The term that we have these days is people sleep together. What are two of these terms, Ledger, that's to do with sexual intimacy?
2: Um, Yes, in the Bible, when we read about this, uh, I would like to read uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 which is saying Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. So here it says the word lay with his wife. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, it's talking about Mary. Mary is talking here with the angel, and uh, the angel... Uh, uh, brings her the good news that she will remain pregnant and she will give uh, birth to a son which will be uh, jesus and she she's asking the angel in verse 34 and she says how should i know? because since i am virgin so lay wait or new it's a term of that describes sexual intimacy in the bible
3: okay so if it says somebody Knew his wife, or should know his wife. Yeah, it is referring to the most intimate act, physical, psychological act that a, a person can do. Have, however, that same word, know or knew, applies in a different way. Helen, could you just share that with us?
1: In um, John seventeen three. I'm reading, again, from the New Living Translation. It says here, And this is the way to have eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have, to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. It's to know, mm. isn't it? There's that word again. And if we pop over to 1 Corinthians 8, verse 3, it says... But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes, you know, or God knows, mm. you know, God has knowledge, you know, and we, we acknowledge God. It's, it's a, a, a knowing, isn't it? And it's when you know someone, there was a song years ago that said to know, no, know, know him is to love, love, love him, mm. you know, and I believe it's the same here. I believe it's the same with our relationship with God. The closer you come to God is the, the closer you also come to each other. Yeah, you know, and it's it's just a wonderful relationship. The more that you get to know God, mm-hmm.
3: God knows everything about us. Mm-hmm. But we need to take God into our total confidence. Mm. That God should know us. He knows our desires. He knows our needs. And um, so, when we share with God the deepest part of our thoughts and being that's all part of this knowing thing
1: it's an intimacy
0: yeah.
1: as we mentioned before with the word know
0: probably I'm just uh, jumping the gun right now but I I just want to say that uh, in a passage in the Bible when God said to those people who demanded that they knew him knew God, they said depart from me I never knew you And this is in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 7. From uh, chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast our demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." Yes. Interesting enough that these people who just referred to, they didn't allow God to work in their lives, to have that relationship to, as you just said, to know them, and them to know Him. Very, very interesting uh, comparison here.
3: I, I see it in a modern context like this. I know a number of people who go to church, and they appear to be good people, and they probably are. But just going to church, while it might be a, a positive act, that doesn't say that those people have a relationship with God. There's more that's required, that we desire to do what God wants, we desire to be like God is, and that we share our thoughts and our ideas with god not that we want to get him to do stuff for us Uh, we want to be like him and do his will helen you've got something you would like to share here i think
1: yes i do the bible uses come back to that word no the bible uses no for the intimate union of husband and wife in this loving knowledge the most hidden inner depths of their beings are offered to the other Not only two bodies, but also two hearts are joined in one flesh. No, also describes the relationship between individuals and God. And for the discerning Christian, the unique and tender knowledge of marriage, with its companionship, commitment and unbounded delight, provides a profound insight into the most sublime and holy mystery ever, the union of Christ and the church. I love that it's a union. Mm. I love that. I just like to make a comment on what you said before. I was thinking, when Christ said, "I never knew you," it was—it's almost like we can go out and we can do the works of God outside the home, and you know, everybody thinks we're doing, you know, God's work, but we're being selfish, and we then we get into the house. And we're like we're doing the works of Satan, hmm. you know, because we haven't invited Christ into our complete life. Yeah. And and that's the way I kind of looked at that when Jesus says, depart from me, I know you're not. It's because he wasn't living in our lives. He wasn't completely. We hadn't given him every part of us.
3: Part of this knowing is reciprocal love, knowing God and God knowing us. Mm. It's got to be
0: a love relationship. Mm. Nick, where does love come from? 1 John chapter 4. In verse 7, we read this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So, where does love come from? From God, obviously. Can you explain love from the theory of evolution? That's a very good question, Len. We haven't got time probably to go on that path right now, but we yeah. can
2: extend the time <laughs>
0: yeah. but it's interesting yeah. how, how can you explain through an, uh, from an evolution point of view love because when you think of evolution is the dominion of the strongest You know, is not love included anywhere there that's a very good point we probably need to have another program about that Len yes there was a big debate once about
3: origins and this was one of the key points that the person who is speaking in favor of creation brought up he said, "You cannot explain love in terms of evolution. The only, only thing is that people will do kind deeds to other kind people, uh, to other people, in order to preserve the species. But love, no, it cannot be explained in terms of evolution." Lydia, in Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs chapter 4 and verse 12 perhaps if you just read 4 verse 12 Mm -hmm. um, what's this all about
2: it says you are a garden locked up my sister my bride you are a spring enclosed a sealed fountain and in verse 15 you are a garden fountain a well of flowing water steaming down from Lebanon and again uh, at the end of verse 16 come into his garden and taste his choice fruits and then in chapter 5 verse 1 says, I have come into my garden my sister, my bride, I have gathered my myrrh with my spice, I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey I have drunk my wine and my milk, so here Solomon is describing this, his, um his tasting from his own garden, from his own fr- fruits he eats so This is a very interesting verse that it says in verse 12, a garden locked up, a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. I found out here that uh, it's a powerful reference of the Shulamites' childhood when uh, her brother wondered whether she would be a wall or a door in chapter 8, verse 8 and 9. In the other words, uh, will she remain chaste until marriage? It means a wall or be a promiscuous door. So as an adult woman she affirms that she has maintained her chastity and comes pure to her husband which is, says in v- chapter 8 verse 10 I am a wall in fact he Solomon confirms that she is still a virgin up to their wedding night by saying that she is a garden enclosed a spring shut up a fountain sealed so, from her own experience, she can counsel her friends to take the steps of love and marriage very carefully and uh, but sh- um, she invites him to her garden, so he uh, so we see that he's intoxicated her love and uh, Uh, she's saying uh, he's saying that my bride my very own you are a garden a fountain closed off to all others so in his union to this perfect woman he finds himself as reaching the promised land your lips are honeycomb milk and honey flow from your tongue yes
3: she um we won't deal with this this would have come later in the study but we won't get time She was described as a wall. Think of a walled garden, and she remained a virgin until marriage. Now, uh, I know these days a lot of young people are not chaste before marriage, but there are good reasons to remain chaste
0: until marriage Mm. very quickly i want to just look at uh, verse nine because uh, her brothers you know they have a younger sister and they uh, worried about her you know uh, if she will become a wall or a door and they say something here if she's a wall we we will build upon her a battlement of silver very interesting it's a jewel if she's a wall she's a jewel but if she's a door we will enclose her with boards of cedar. You know, it's like, you know how Im- important is that? It's something which, a house which is enclosed with boards of, c- of cedar, it's like a empty ha- house. You know, it's a house not welcoming you. Yes. They're very interesting uh, okay. uh, analogy. All right. It's
1: like they were guarding her.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we've got to um, try and wrap things up soon. Talk about a marriage. I believe marriages should be similar inasmuch as that there is a wall around not just the one person but around the two some people of course in their marriages sleep around what effects are there on people and on society where marriage partners sleep sleep around like the term is wife swapping what what happens with those marriages
1: you lose trust yeah. for a start. The trust is broken. It's very hard to regain that trust, um, which is very, very sad, actually. It breaks down um, relationships, not only with the wife, but within the whole family. It yes. affects not just one person.
0: It's and far-reaching. And then because of the years you said, time it's gone, and we just want to wrap it up. Uh, because there will be many people um, considering, you know what, put it in uh, exactly how the Bible put, puts it, I'm not a wall anymore, you know. Um, I lost that integrity, let's say. But, you know, come to God. For God is a loving Father and He will forgive. Of course, there will be two consequences, but uh, come to God. And I want to say, because in the, this wonderful girl, she said something about herself. I am a wall and my breasts are like two towers and I really want to uh, to just point out something here towers are there not to be conquered I mean not to be touched unless you're welcoming that mm. thing you know and I will give a, a bit of advice here not that I, uh, I should probably because I maybe I did the wrong things you know uh, when I should have done the wrong things but don't put your impositions of temptation even when uh, young people are are uh, hugging each other it's very important because that's the first thing when you connect you know keep away uh, uh, if you don't want to be in trouble Mm -hmm. and uh, establish that relationship on a different level than on a sensuality Mm -hmm. just very quickly quickly, I know
1: I know time's gone Mm -hmm. or gone Um, number one this woman had a choice she had a choice to to stay and be a virgin until her marriage, which made it even more intimate for them. She had a choice to give herself to Solomon. And it's a choice we all have. I'd like to come back to what you said before. In this world, there are many people that have made the wrong choice and and given themselves to people before marriage and what have you. And it does bring, or even after marriage in adultery, it does does bring so much heartache. Let me assure you, though, as what um, Nick was saying, God is love. He has a beautiful promise, one of my favorite texts in Scripture, 1 John 1.9, that says, If... There's a the choice. If we confess our sins, what does it say? He
3: is faithful and just. just.
1: Yes, to, to forgive, forgive us, us our sins and to cleanse us from some?
0: All. No, from
1: all thing. unrighteousness. So if we will come to God now, he will blot out the sins of the past as far as the east is to the west. And if, if you recommit your life to God now and, and let him take over.
3: Now, last verse we're going to use. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22. Ledger?
1: Yes,
2: it says here, Keep all my decrees and laws and follow them, so that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. You must not live according to the customs of the nations.
3: So in the context of marriage and love and commitment, what happens when people do not keep the decrees and laws of God, Ledger?
2: first of all you dishonor your god and you dishonor your uh, marriage you t- you're not committed to your commitment that you made also uh damaged families damages souls guilt and also uh as physic uh our f- uh physique is is uh touched through the sexually transmitted diseases and uh breakdown in society and so on and so on the yeah. chain con- can continue we know
3: it all too well well Listeners, time has run away from us. But you know, the Song of Songs has its place in the Bible. This song was read and performed each year in ancient Jewish culture at Passover. The song demonstrates how to deal with human desire and passion in its highest, purest form. But the Song of Songs is also analogous inasmuch as it demonstrates how great is the love God has for humankind God is passionate and desires our company for eternity and he went to extreme lengths to have a close personal interaction with everyone even desperate sinners to be loved by God is one thing but to reciprocate and love God in return is another let us love God by honoring him communicating with him and doing his will. Helen, would you like to pray as we conclude?
1: Yes, I'd love to thank you. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you, Father, that when you created this world and you created man and woman, that you gave us the guidelines to follow that will bring that intimate love into a marriage relationship and an intimate love between you and us. I pray, Father, that each person today will recommit their their marriage to each other. They will recommit their life to you and put you first, Father, in all things, that then their marriages will be right as well. I pray, Lord, that you will indeed impress upon the hearts and minds of each person that glory to god is the way that we need to go in our bodies in our marriage in our relationship and lord please please give us the strength and the power to be able to follow you in all ways the power from on high and through the holy spirit may we be amongst those at the end of time who you say come inherit the place i have prepared for you because we know you and you know us bless us now i pray in the loving name of jesus amen amen Amen.